Sometimes I'm just as shocked as you are. Like when they come out of dumpsters and stuff, they're like, who wrote that? Who came up with that? That's fantastic. I love it. Uh, I love what God is doing in our family ministries, and, and we want to continue to uh, pray for God's plan to work out, and again, for kids as they're engaging with the Lord and having opportunities to learn about God and to grow in the Lord. Uh, just, again, some exciting things that are happening, and want to encourage you to be in prayer. And since I mentioned the word prayer, and we're about to go to the Word of God, we might ought to pray. What do you say? Let's pray. Lord, we love you and we praise you. We thank you that you are indeed good all the time. We ask that you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to understand as we walk through your word together. That, Lord, you would open our eyes today. And, and that for some of us, that, that might mean seeing you for the first time as Lord and Savior. And if so, I, I would pray that we would lean into that and in faith respond to you. For others of us today, there, there might be a realization that uh, we're, we're not following you like we claim to be. And so, Lord, I, I pray that you would help us to repent and to turn and follow you. For others of us today, there, there may be a sense of excitement, a leaning in of this adventure that you've called us into. And, and I would pray that in faith we would walk together. Lord, we thank you for your word, the power of your word and your Holy Spirit that transforms lives because of your good gospel. Lord, we have been immersed in this kingdom of the world and we need transformed and to live under your rule and reign as king, as the son of God. It's in Jesus Christ's precious and holy, holy, holy name we pray, amen. Who do you say Jesus is? Let me, sorry, let me ask it a little differently. Who does your life say Jesus is? Because that might be a different answer. Uh, it's interesting, as we look into the scriptures, we see a group of people who said, you know what? Uh, Jesus is a prophet. And here's what that means. That means that they believe that the words that Jesus spoke were the words of God. But guess what? It, it didn't really change anything in their lives. It's good information to have. Then there were a group of people who said, well, wait a minute. He is a good teacher. Jesus is a good teacher. And and these moral teachings that he offers, it's helpful. It's good. It's nice. And when I do it, good things happen. So there's this good teacher, but in terms of real authority, nothing. There, There were a group of people who said, you know what? I see that Jesus can heal people. And I have some stuff that I would like him to heal. So I'm going to go follow him, and he's, he's a great physician. But as soon as they're healed, they don't really need Jesus. There were a group of people who were anticipating the Messiah. They knew that he would be this political leader, this ruler. And so they anticipated that he would be this ruler that would infect and affect the political system and that he would rise to the top of it. And transform lives. They saw Jesus as a revolutionary. And their lives reflected that. There were a group of people who said that Jesus was demon-possessed. In other words, the very things that Jesus was saying was contrary to what they thought and believed. And therefore, Jesus must be possessed. 
So how does that relate to us today? Well, it may be that we read the words, the red words of the New Testament and go, yep, those are Jesus' words and those are the words of God. Cool. But our lives never change. Could be that we read like the Sermon on the Mount and we go, yeah, that's, that's great stuff. And I could see uh, how being a peacemaker might be helpful. Maybe sometime I'll try that. But there's no real life change. Maybe you're hurting emotionally, physically, mentally. And if Jesus would just heal you, ah, if he'd heal you, that'd be great. But that's all you need from him is a healing and then to move on. Maybe your thoughts are more along the lines of identity politics and it's gone, boy, if Jesus would just make this party better, if he would just make this group of people know him and love him better, then everything would be perfect. And he's a revolutionary, but that's about it. Or maybe you see Jesus as a challenger. He's saying things that would suggest he has authority over your life. And in that respect, you might say he's less than I am God of my life. I choose where I go, when I go, what I do, how I do it. I'm God of my life. Now, you wouldn't use those words, but your actions sure would communicate that. Or, he's the son of God. He's the one who has authority, the ability to speak and things change. We saw it last week. Jesus is in, is in the stern of the ship, right? Remember the story? And the storm comes, and all of a sudden, the disciples are scared to death. They know they're going to sink. They know they're going to die. Where's Jesus? Where's Jesus? He's sleeping. Jesus is taking a nap. Hey, my friends, he's not worried about it. But they are. And Jesus stands up and does something that is shocking. He says, peace be still. And you know who responds? The winds and the waves. And the disciples go, who is this? Jesus moves on from that place and commands demons, legions of demons. He has authority over them to tell them where to go. No, you don't, you don't get to stay in this man. You're going to go into a herd of swine and they're going to drown in the abyss of the water, which is going to be a sign, demons, of your ultimate fate that you too will go to the abyss. Jesus moves from there to a group as he goes to heal a little girl. He's stopped by a woman who has an issue of blood. She is unclean, and everything she touches is unclean. But yes, she reaches out and touches the hem of his garment, and she becomes clean. She doesn't make him dirty. He makes her clean. This Jesus is amazing, and he, he stands up in that place as we look at the text and we see he is the Son of God. He is the only one who couldn't be contaminated, who actually makes the dirty clean. And then Jesus goes, and, and he calls this little girl to life. He gives life where there's death. He's identified as the Son of God. And there's a transition 
that occurs in the text. As we move through that, he's going to go to Nazareth. And we're going to talk about that in just a second. But I want you to see how Jesus has this authority, this ability to speak, and it is so, that it happens. And people have a responsibility to either join him or not. And you and I are in that same place. Either we're going to join him or not. Either he's really going to be Lord and Savior of my life, or, or he's just going to be a prophet, or he's going to be a good teacher, or he's going to be a healer, or he's going to be a revolutionary. But I can't call him Lord and Savior because he's not. Or he's the Son of God. And that's the challenge that we get today. That's what we get to uh, lean into today. And I'm just going to tell you ahead of time, throughout our time, I'm going to be bringing in quotes. I love you. I'm bringing in some quotes. And they're going to be people on a theological spectrum. And you may be tempted to email me later about it. And I understand that. However... These quotes that we're going to be talking about are going to be from some people who I would say uh, have theological flavor, but are not in heresy. You don't need to email me about it. Uh, It's okay. Uh, I love you. We're good. We're not talking about heretics. We're talking about theological flavor. Hang in there with me, because I'm going to make everybody upset. All right. (laughs) I'm just kidding. I'm not going to. Uh, well, let's, let's jump in. The first section, as Jesus goes from healing this little girl, Talitha Kuni, little girl, arise. As he goes from there, he goes up to the north. He goes into Nazareth, his hometown. And while he's there, it appears that he has this much in mind. He wants to do all of these things, big things, amazing things. But... He only does this much. And, and we're going to see why as we jump into it. If, if we want to experience the miraculous nature of the kingdom of God, then it's going to require us to walk in faith. Uh, Charles Spurgeon, who's sometimes called the prince of preachers, uh, 19th century English pastor, uh, he has this great quote about it. He says, faith is the hand by which we grasp the truth of God. But it is the Holy Spirit who fills that hand with power. And so we reach out in faith to touch God, but God wants to do something in that place. And by the power of his Holy Spirit, we are moved to do so. In Mark chapter 6, starting in verse 1 through verse 6, what we see is that Jesus stands up in the synagogue and begins to teach. He's doing some work in the community and some amazing things happen and people are left to, in astonishment of what is happening around them. And in verse two, let me share, this is what it says. Uh, when the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue and many uh, who heard him were astonished. That seems good so far. Where did this man get these things, they said? What is this wisdom given to him And how are these miracles performed by his hands? I wish you stopped there. That'd be a great place because it seems like things are going really well. He's been doing some amazing things in the community. It seems like God has this in store and people are going, where is this coming from? How amazing is this? And then we see the next verse, verse 3. Isn't this the carpenter, the son of Mary? The, the brother of James, Joseph, 
uh, Judas and Simon and aren't his sisters with us? And then here it goes. So they were offended. How could this be God at work when we know who this is? How dare he now that I think about it? He thinks he's better than us. Uh, what is happening? Well, the early church fathers, they said this about uh, this particular passage, that they were embracing Jesus 100% man, but they didn't embrace him 100% God. And, and often we do this very thing, don't we? That's exactly the breakdown that I was giving earlier. He's got the words of God, but that's about it. And it doesn't change my life. He's a good teacher, but that doesn't change my life. He's a revolutionary, doesn't change my life. Pretty good physician, but doesn't change my life beyond that. Or he's the son of God. This passage goes on. Jesus, with a, with a quote you've, you're probably very familiar with in verse 4, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown, among his relatives, and in his household. And then, as he was not able to do any miracles there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he was amazed at their unbelief. So it appears that Jesus has this in mind, but they only accept this. I love this. Yeah, he couldn't really do anything. Oh, yeah, except for healing people. I guess he did do that. Uh, there are a few people who enter into this, this space of trusting Jesus as fully God, fully man, able to be the kingdom bringer in this situation. If we want the miraculous things of God's kingdom, his rule and reign, then it's going to require us to enter into faith, to trust him. And sometimes the things that God has in store are miraculous and amazing. And sometimes they're painful and miraculous and amazing. And we'll, we'll watch as this movement continues. So we start in Nazareth. In this place, in Jesus' hometown, he has this in mind, but we only go this far. <laughs> but then he's going to go talk to his disciples, and he's going to send them out. And, and the disciples are going to have to do what they didn't do in Nazareth, and, and that's trust Jesus. That everything Jesus says is actually true. They're going to stand in complete juxtaposition of the kingdom of the world as was seen in Nazareth compared to the kingdom of God and the rule and reign of God in their lives. Jesus is going to commission the 12 to go out. He's going to pair them up and he's going to send them out. He's going to give them authority over unclean spirits. He's going to tell them, to don't bring bags with you. Don't bring money with you. Don't, bring, uh, don't put any money in your belts. Don't bring a change of clothes with you. Can you imagine how uh, uh, anxiety-driven that must have been? Wait, you want me to go with him to where and do what? Yeah, it turns out Jesus is saying, I have authority, and I'm offering it to you. Will you walk in that place? Well, they do. Uh, John Maxwell, who's more known for his uh, uh, business quotes than he is his uh, church quotes, does have something to say about this, and I love this comment. God's plan for our lives is not just about what he can do for us, but also what he can do through us as we participate in his kingdom work. It's not just about what he does for us, but through us. And the disciples here 
are, are choosing to walk in faith. And as they walk in faith, they're going to go out. And as they go out, some things happen, verse 7 through 9. And he called the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. The end of this passage ends with, or this section ends with, so they went out and preached that people should repent. And they were driving out many demons, anointing many sick people with olive oil and healing them. What God had in store, they embraced and they followed him in those places. In Nazareth, it was limited. With the disciples, it's embraced. And as we see the kingdom of God kind of unfolding in front of us, uh, we have to ask some questions, and, and we start to look at it and go, boy, it seems like that if I embrace God's kingdom, things are going to turn out good the way that I think good things should happen. That, that's the way it, peer, it appears. Okay, so they didn't do that in Nazareth, but as the 12 went out, some amazing things happened. But then we're interrupted with another story. And the next story is from the person who publicly proclaimed that Jesus is the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Uh, this is a guy uh, who was willing to stand firm on the very words of God and proclaim them even at risk to his own life. And, and that's what it costs him, his own life. As we move from one part of this passage to the next part, to this part of the passage, we see the kingdom looking a little bit differently than we would anticipate. It's getting better. It's getting bigger. Oh, good things are happening in my life. These guys go out with just a staff, no money. They're uniquely, specifically, purposefully protected. They come back and they tell about how they drove out demons, how sick people were made well, it was an amazing thing. And then we get the story of John the Baptist being beheaded. Oh, wait a minute. How does that work in God's kingdom? What, what is up with this suffering? Because if God is healing us, then why would we suffer? But yet we do. And it's a reality. It, it's actually, God uses that. In many ways, this seems to be a currency in heaven that God would be the one who comes in the flesh. It would be God who would offer his life that we could live. It, it's God who suffers. And it's God whose name is above all names. Suffering seems to be some sort of currency of heaven, of this kingdom. And that suffering sometimes is just going to happen. And also, God is sovereign in the midst of this suffering. Tim Keller of Redeemer Presbyterian, uh, he says this, God is not absent when things go wrong. In fact, God is more present in our suffering than we can imagine. And so maybe you're in the midst of some suffering yourself, whether that is um, emotional or relational or physical. And you've come to this place where you've said, oh, I've been following you, Lord, and it's not turning out the way that I think it should turn out. And this kind of stinks. And also, it's not fair. 
And, and perhaps if we could hear from the Lord in those moments, maybe he would say something like this, that's true. It's not fair. But all things work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And despite the suffering that you're going through, you're about to be released from that and you're going to experience glory in a way that is beautiful and amazing. And if I tried to tell you on this side of eternity, you would never get it. So hang in there and stay faithful. I did. Follow me. Follow me. In this passage... Herod sent and seized John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because he had married her. For John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. John's not backing down. Okay, but you're going to go to prison. Okay, but God's word is still eternal and it still applies. Okay, but it might cost you your life. That's okay, because actually uh, what I'm going to get is the reward of eternal life. It's okay. And John goes into that place, trusting God. He begins with it, embracing his call in the wilderness, building his disciples, and then seeing the Messiah come. He calls his disciples to that Messiah. There is the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Some of his own followers end up following Jesus, and he's not been out of shape about it. He's like, that's who we should be following. And then he's willing to give his life in that place. God's kingdom looks a little bit different. And sometimes God's kingdom allows for suffering. And in those places of suffering, uh, we're called to embrace it, that God may even have a plan in all of this. And we see how in that moment, how God strengthened those early followers of Jesus. We saw in, the, in that moment how God is tenderizing other hearts, how the gospel is embraced later in part because of John's faithfulness and obedience. How many people have learned about the Lord, have come to the Lord because John was faithful even in the face of death. And so, who do you say Jesus is? Who does your life say Jesus is? He's a good teacher, great prophet, nice healer. Appreciate his work in politics. But I don't know about the Son of God who has rule and reign over my life. Not too sure. The end of Mark leads us to this place. The ultimate goal of our lives is to glorify God and that God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. The, the idea that our freedom would trump uh, God's plan is not a biblical idea. Oh, man, if I could just do what I want to do when I want to do it, and, and God's good with that, then I'll follow the Lord. Well, what if God leads us to places that we wouldn't naturally go on our own? We wouldn't even necessarily want to go on our own. Well, it's a problem if our hope is in our freedom, our ability to do what we want to do when we want to do it. But if we're satisfied in him, God is glorified 
Beautiful things happening the end of Mark. And they went out and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message by accompanying signs. It's interesting because when Jesus is talking before he goes to heaven in his prayer, when he's, when he's identifying what the signs of the church should be, he doesn't say, oh, and they should raise people to life and um, maybe they should have big cathedrals and Lord, help them have amazing worship ministries and Lord, let their youth groups be just awesome. And like, that's not what he prays. Lord, help them to, uh, uh, to get rid of demons. He, he doesn't pray that way, but rather he says, Father, make them one as you and I are one that the world may know that you sent me. What is, what is God calling us to this sort of unity as a display of his authority and the beauty of this kingdom. Well, let's ask ourselves some questions as we prepare our hearts for communion. Uh, here in the first principle, as we look back on it, faith is necessary as we walk in the miraculous things of the kingdom of God. One, what areas of our lives do we struggle to trust God in? Let me be vulnerable for a minute and share with you. Uh, I believe I think, I'm pretty sure this is true. That as it relates to me, I, I go, yeah, okay, God, I think I can trust you in this place. But when I see my children struggling, when I see them hurting, that's not as easy. And those are areas where I have to trust the Lord. How can you grow in faith in those areas? Good question. Glad we asked it. But two. Uh, the call to participate in God's kingdom and his work. In what ways can we participate in God's kingdom work in our community? And in our community, I mean uh, not just out and about. It could be in our family, uh, within our family. It could be within our church. It could be within our community locally or more broadly globally. Uh, what might God be calling you specifically to? Are you willing to step out in faith and be obedient to God's call to participate in kingdom work? even if it means sacrificing your own comfort and security, just like the disciples were willing to go out uh, without all of the answers they needed. and just needed this step. I can trust you here. I can trust you here. I can trust you here. And eventually they're walking in faith. Let's continue on. And as the worship team comes forward, suffering and sovereignty in the kingdom. How have you experienced suffering in your life? In what ways have you seen God work through that suffering for his glory? Let, 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 let's just identify that, that God can redeem anything, whether that's emotional, relational, spiritual, or physical uh, suffering that you may be going through. God is willing to redeem that for his good glory. Uh, two, how does knowing that God is sovereign over all things, including our suffering, impact the way that we view difficult circumstances? And then three, in what ways can you trust God more fully with your suffering and surrender your desire for control over your circumstances to him? Good questions and good thoughts. As we kind of conclude this time and enter into communion, uh, I, I would ask you again, who does your life say Jesus is? Is he a prophet? Is he a good teacher? Is he a healer? Is he a revolutionary? Is he demon-possessed? Or is he the son of God? That's the question that we're wrestling with, not just with our words, 
but with our lives. As you chew on that, communion is given to the believer, for the believer to participate in, remembering the body that was broken and the blood that was shed, that God came in the flesh and gave his life that we could have life, and we participate in this regularly. It's not just a... um, I say it's not just a traditional thing that we do that loses meaning, but every week we're reminded to come to this place of going, Lord, I want to follow you with all my heart. And if there's sin, then I'm going to confess that sin and turn away from that sin and turn to Jesus. That's called repentance. And then we're free to participate together in the body and the blood, remembering what Jesus has done for us. There's... uh, Stations throughout the room, we want to encourage you to get both the bread and the cup and return to your seat uh, during this next song, uh, and then we'll participate together in a little bit. Let's pray. Jesus, we do love you, and we praise you. We thank you, Lord, that you are indeed good all the time. Lord, as we come to this place today, we think of those who have had to step out in faith, who were willing to embrace the fullness of all you have to offer. And when they didn't, they were willing to repent. And so, Lord, help us to have tender hearts to you, to see those areas that we may be holding on to more tightly than we should. Areas that we're trying to govern over you, Lord. So we ask that you would forgive us for the things we've done and the things we've left undone. And, Lord, that you would be glorified in our lives that we are not just receiving your grace, but asking you, Lord, to give your grace to others through us as we journey together in this kingdom walk. It's in Jesus Christ's precious and holy, holy name we pray. Amen.